Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogue, show number 58. This interview is with Francis Pisani, a truly polyglot, esteemed journalist, author and academic from France, who has taught at some of the most established institutions in the world, including Stanford, UC Berkeley and Universidad Iberoamericana in Mexico. In 2011, Francis launched Winch 5, a worldwide tour looking at innovation in its different forms. I had the good fortune to meet Francis through our collaboration at NetExplow, the Observatory of New Technologies, with which I've been associated since leaving L'Oreal. In this interview, we discuss some of his lessons learned from his voyage around the world, how innovation is happening in surprising and different ways, and how countries, cities, and companies are looking to insert innovation into their DNA. Enjoy. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show. Today, I have a special guest, someone who I met through my friend Thierry App at NetExplo. Francis, uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Um, I am an old writer and journalist who was born in Paris, traveled quite a lot. I lived in Mexico for 15 years, and then I lived in San Francisco, I mean in the Bay Area, to cover information technology. And then um, I came back from there three years ago with uh, two questions in mind. Um, can you innovate outside of Silicon Valley? Is, and the second one is, is the world flat like Thomas Friedman pretends? My thinking is that it is not, but I was not sure. So I decided to go and check by myself. And over a year, I visited 45 cities in 32 countries, asking always the same question. What is innovation for you? And trying to understand how people do innovate in other places and if they do. All right, so uh, 32 countries. Why those countries? Uh, what, what was the thing that drove the choice of countries and where did you find the most innovation? That is starting in a very difficult manner. I am not able to answer this question. <laughs> no, meaning it depends. First, I've covered information technology, so I have an idea of where things happen. It's not very difficult to know that you have to go to Seoul in Korea, for instance. But I went to Nairobi, which is not very difficult either, and to Dakar, which is a little bit more complex because I wanted to check. So I followed what I had learned what people told me, what friends were advising me to do, and through the readers who through my blogs and my Twitter account said, you should go there or you should go there. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of knowing interesting places, curiosity, uh, the desire to know a place you don't know, mm -hmm. and so that took me to, to these very different places from India, South Africa, South America, Southeast Asia, uh, China, the, U the U.S., of course. No, I didn't go. The, the choice of these trips was I didn't cover the U.S., where I had spent so many years, nor Western Europe, because I think we have a lot of information of what's going on in the U.K., in Germany, even in France. But I visited other places which are less known, and I found that 
people are innovating everywhere. All right. Well, so in a sense, in the way you, you chose your countries, there's this notion of serendipity and letting the crowdsourcing you into finding which where they're interesting places. All right. So, of the of the, all the places you went to, what was the thing that surprised you the most? The place that surprised me the most, but it is quite known now, is Nairobi and the richness of of the ecosystem is Nairobi. But there is something which is still more fascinating. It is that people are innovating everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking about distributed innovation, which is different from global. Distributed means that there is some autonomy and that it is uh, rising uh, from the local situation everywhere. Mm -hmm. Global, for me, is it's something which is similar in many places yeah. with a little bit of localization. It's more one for all. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I do believe that there is distributed uh, innovation. People are innovating for one very key reason. Modernization until today has been... Uh, an issue for many people outside of Europe and the US which is it comes from the West and it comes from the North so there are good reasons to modernize but there are other ones which is which are maybe it's not good for me or maybe I don't want to be for them or maybe I cannot be like them mm -hmm. and so uh, but uh, innovation is a way to build your own future and so the big change and I think it's a civilization change is that people by choosing innovation, are embracing in technology and what it offers to you, but they are building their own future, or at least having a say in the way it will happen to them. So when you when we looked at China, I know I listened to you speak at, at a conference uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I believe you said that they have added innovation into their motto for the country. And so would you say that's, what, that's an example of a living organization trying to make sure they're no longer just a copier, but they are innovating? So I think there is a cycle which is the same everywhere. You first copy, then you adapt, and then you may or not innovate. What strikes me, and, and you cannot go, you cannot escape this cycle in a sense. And even Steve Jobs did first copy, then innovated, then adapted, That's then innovated. Sure. And so, let's take a country. I, I, the, the formula is that the city of Beijing has patriotism, virtue, inclusion, and innovation in its motto. For me, and there is no doubt about that, China has understood that copying was good at some point, needed at some point. Adaptation was, uh, you, cannot, you could not avoid. But if they want to move forward, they cannot only copy and adapt. So they have to innovate. So now they put innovation as a model, as a motto of uh, the city of Beijing and the country. And this is what the Europeans and the Americans have to understand. It, China is not only a market anymore. It's not only the biggest market in the world. It's a place from which innovation is coming and will come uh, more and more by the day, by the year. And so this is a whole change in the dynamics of the world. The innovation will come from everywhere. And companies which only look at their market and let the U.S., because we know there is innovation in the U.S., sure. might be or will be surprised two, three, five years from now by innovations that come from China, from Korea, mm -hmm. and from Brazil or South Africa. Yeah, or even Kenya. Or even Kenya. When you mentioned uh, distributed um, innovation, can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by distributed innovation? I mean, as opposed to like crowdsourced innovation. 
It is not crowdsourced. So you have one thing, and maybe we can comment a little bit on Thomas Friedman. Surely. So I do think he is partially wrong, and I'm very positive on that. On one side, when he says everybody is connected, he's obviously right. And it is true that you can, from Bangalore, know what is going on in uh, Sao Paulo, just to mention two places. That you know well. (laughs) Thank you. But the problem is that technology is not a factor of homogenization. Technology, because of innovation, is a factor of diversity. So what happens? Why do I speak about distributed innovation? Innovation for me is a, a combination of things which are not always new to answer a problem or take advantage of an opportunity. The problems and the opportunities are always local. Therefore, innovation is always at some point local. Therefore, you have diversity coming from innovation everywhere. So it is distributed because uh, you can find that everywhere in the world. I think that the notion of distribution, not from a market point of view, but from a a network point of view, is when you have things happening everywhere in the network. And this is a key concept to to use to understand the world today. And so you have distributed innovation because people innovate starting from their local conditions, taking advantage of their local opportunities, trying to solve their local problems, and then connecting on the net and connecting on the web and, and, and maybe sharing some of what they do. All right, so when you taking this message of innovation is everywhere and uh, it must be adapted locally, when you go into a meet with a senior executive or a senior executive team and, and you present this, what, what, are the thing, what are the obstacles you encounter? And maybe what sort of tips or ways do you argument to bring them around to this thing? Uh, so, A, are they objecting? Or, and if they are, how do you undo them? First, after the definition of innovation, I would like to say something about the conditions of innovation. So there is no magic potion or silver bullet magic potion would be the French expression and silver bullet, the American asterisk like uh, for innovation. But there are two things I have found everywhere. You need open spaces and you need diversity in the people. And the two uh, create the condition serendipity. There is a beautiful concept from an English English economist, John Kay, that I love, obliquity. Those who search for happiness not necessarily get it, but if you live your life in a decent manner or do your business in in an open manner, you may obliquity obliquely, I don't know how you say that, (laughs) obliquely, you you, you may find what you're looking for. So, this is what you have when you have open spaces and when you have a diversity. And in French companies, at least, it's very difficult to have open spaces uh, and a diversity. I, I think that even in, 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 in the most transnational French companies, it is still very difficult to have people speaking English, meaning everybody can right. understand everyone. Right. Yeah. And in the board, you seldomly have people from other countries. Well, the, and the, So you have the lack of diversity and then this notion of transparency, which seems to be a little bit an anathema to the French, anyway, hierarchy. 
absolutely hierarchy. There is an image. My brother heads a think tank in Brussels or headed until last week. And he went to order chairs. And he said, then the guy said, so what kind of chairs do you want? And I said, I want this kind of chair, 20. And the guy said, oh, if you take the same chair for everybody, you're not French. Meaning that the French people uh, take a different chair for the boss, for the number two, for the number three, and so on. So, uh, yes, uh, transparency uh, plays a great role. Or, or rather, I think what is important to understand what the problem with French companies is the importance of secrecy and hierarchy. Transparency is, a little, is slightly different. Mm -hmm. and, and so there, there, are, there is no openness neither in terms of space nor in terms of communication. So when you say space, we're talking about geography. No, I am talking... There is a fractal approach to space. I think that the, the cubicle... It goes from the cubicle to the city. So uh, if you... I have I, I've been very impressed in Nairobi and in other places by the importance of co-working spaces. And I think, in a way, there is a paradox of the incubator. The incubator is supposed to be for small startups which want to grow, and they are in closed spaces to protect their IP. But when they are in closed spaces, the difficulty is that they do not exchange and they do not have opportunities to meet other kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And so it is important to protect your IP, but you need to know what exactly is the IP you have to protect. Right. And it is maybe more important to share, to get in touch with other people, to submit your ideas, to be criticized, and to find people who can enrich your ideas. Right. And so I think that co-working spaces are very important. So you need to look at open spaces from the cubicle, uh, meaning do you have a moment and I have seen a, an Indian architect from Bangalore who has a, a project with cu open cubicles, then open spaces at every level at, at, of, the, of the company and then you have the co-working spaces and that you can find in, 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 in Nairobi with the IHUB or in Berlin with the Beta House. And then there is the notion of the neighborhood and, you know, people who are trying to create Silicon Valleys. Mm. Do you create Silicon Valleys with a high density of connection or not? I think this is a big issue. And with a high density of, oh, I mean, a, a high offer of openness. So I think the Spaces issue, the space issue goes from the cubicle to the city and is key to innovation. It has to be open. So one of the when you have incubators or these, uh, or these small entrepreneurial outfits in France in particular, where we both live, we are faced with uh, larger companies who, who for pretty much each one of them have the word innovation in the top of their mission. That's a big issue. When I think that French companies need to talk, reconsider innovation, people tell me, but that's what we do. So my formula, copying an old French intellectual with Régis Debray, is innovation in innovation and not revolution in revolution, which is a book you wrote 40 years ago. So companies need to rethink their concept of innovation. A few elements about that. Innovation is not uh, the issue of one department. It is an issue of the whole company. Innovation, the example has to come from the top. Uh, you have to create open spaces. You have to play on diversity. In French, there is a diverse population. Yeah. Do you play on this diversity mm -hmm. 
uh, ethnical, cultural, uh, age-wise, gender-wise, and so on, in order to have all these people mixed together. I have personally, uh, there is an, a concept of what an entrepreneur is. There are four kinds of entrepreneurs, and, it, and co-working spaces allow them to mix. The four kinds are the business entrepreneurs who think of making money, basically, Then you have the social entrepreneurs who don't distribute dividends. This is the Mohammed Yunus de uh, definition. Or who at least try to have balanced uh, uh, budget. Right. And then you have the intrapreneur, meaning the people who in companies have ideas, want to move the companies, and that the, the, the executives should listen to or encourage. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you have the activists. The activists are key to the mix. Martin Luther King... Gandhi were mm -hmm. entrepreneurs in the Jean-Baptiste Say mm -hmm. definition of an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is somebody who takes resources and uses them in a new manner, which is more efficient, mm -hmm. taking advantage of an opportunity or trying to solve a problem. So this applies to everybody. And what is impressive, I did not realize that when I was in Silicon Valley, but the most interesting conferences in Silicon Valley were conferences where you held all these people. And if you look at the history of the PC and you can read the books of Fred Turner or John Markov, you will see, as the Time magazine said once, we owe it to the hippies. Meaning, in the history of the, inform of the PC, you have the artificial intelligence people and the hippies and the people who were against the Vietnam War and the academics who were in, in favor of the freedom of expression and so on. So, uh, this d d diversity, diversity is key to the creation and to the emergence and to what we have seen and what we will see. And French companies in particular, but not, they are not the only one, have a hard time with that. When I listen to you, uh, I, I think of the social and the activist, and I think of them as the ones that bring us back down to earth, of, of re giving sense to what we're doing. How do you react to that? They certainly remind us of the problems which are lived through by many people. But when I was in Silicon Valley, or in, in, in Berkeley, in front of Silicon Valley, one of the key things that struck me is that the engineers forget about the real world, or tend to forget, or easily forget about the real world. So, for instance, they have big screens in their computer, and they think that everybody has a big screen. And they all understand it. Yeah, yeah and they, which is not the case. So, I think that the mix, not only through the activists, through the activists who play a great role, but the The mere fact of mixing people gives you a chance to have a sense of all the problems you can meet. So from a business perspective, it's a very good position. From a creation perspective, it is one of the key elements. So, Francis, uh, I know time is short. Um, I, I would have w one last question for you. So you're dealing with um, senior management, and you, you've, you've told them that you need to be innovating. You're writing it, but you're not doing it. There are four types of innovation that exist, or entrepreneurs, sorry, that exist. What would be a, uh, a you know, a, just a, you know, a punch to the gut, make the move kind of uh, way of getting them to adopt a more innovative manner? You always have two ways. One, which is the one I prefer, which is I have a very optimistic view of the world. 
I think it's fascinating to see people innovating everywhere and taking their future into their own hands, or at least trying to do something about it. Uh, and so this is like a motivational approach to things. I understand you. And it works. And then there is the other one, which is the fear factor. And my point is, if you take European companies, if you only look at your market, your natural market, the one in which you work and sell things, and the U.S., because you know that things are coming from the U.S., two or five years from now, you will be surprised by something that you have not seen coming. And don't forget that uh, um, diversity was key to San Francisco. You had Jerry Yang, who was the co-founder of uh, Yahoo, born in Taiwan. Sergey Brin, co-founder of Google, who was born in, um, in Russia. And uh, to take a very recent story, one of the two founders of Instagram, which was sold for $1 billion to Facebook, was Brazilian. So you should better pay attention to what is happening anywhere. Not everybody is going to Silicon Valley now. Mm -hmm. Many of them go and come back to their places sure. because they can have a Indians. better life. Indians. And so you have to pay attention to, which is, to what is happening in the rest of the world or you will be surprised. Hence the wonderful idea of accompanying you or taking you out and visiting the world and, and understanding what's going on in the rest of the world. Exactly. And after looking at innovation in general terms, I plan to look at smart cities or creative cities. And I think this is a very interesting space because not only you have innovation, but it may be the space in which you can raise the question of how to change the world or how the world is changed independently of politics in the traditional sense. That may interesting, interest a few people. Francis, thank you very much for having, uh, coming on uh, the show. Tell us how we can uh, read you, follow you. What, what would be the best ways to connect with you? Well, the first thing is I have a Twitter handle, at Arobaz, or whatever you want to say, at Francis Pisani, my full name. And I have a very easy to remember uh, Gmail account, Francis Pisani, my whole name, at gmail.com. Splendid. Well, I'll put all those in the show notes, of course. Francis, lovely to have you on the show, and I look forward to following you around the world. Thank you. Keep in touch. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, 
avoiding, or seeking, feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.